see. Um, as you know, I want to encourage you guys, pray all the time. And you know what? As with Melissa's challenge of telling you know, your spouse or someone other that what you, know, what you still need Jesus for, use it as a good time of prayer. You know, that's a wonderful time of prayer. It's like, pray for me in this and pray for each other in that. And then the other thing I want to always like to do is encourage you guys, you know, to read the Word of God. Read Psalm 119, verse 32. You can read all of Psalm 119. It's a long psalm. But at least read verse 32. You know, Psalm, psalm 119 is all about God's law. But psalm thir- uh, the verse 32 kind of sums up of why you, and how and how it all happens. And ultimately, it's, it's God who, who changes you. So Psalm 119, verse 32. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. I just ask you for your blessing, asking for your encouragement. God, you know, there's a lot of suffering and hurting going around in the world that we don't realize, that we don't really even pay attention. And sadly, I know, I know at times, even myself, I just choose to ignore and look at other things. God, we just help, help us, Lord, to, to be people of prayer who pray for, for the Christians suffering around the world and, and to be people of prayer who, who pray for your word to get out to the world. Help us, Lord, to be heavenly-minded and, 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 and bigger-viewed than just our own lives, Lord, because we are saved. Help us to remember the people that are out there that are suffering during this Christmas time. Help us to remember that you came for a world that's broken. Let us never forget that. And God, right now, I just pray that you uh, uh, convict us of our sins, Lord, Show them, God, we we hide our idols quite well. But God, your word is so good at exposing it. So God, expose our idols. Expose the things we hold dear to more, things that we hold on to more important than you. At least that's what we think, Lord. Help us to remove that, to realize that you are the most important person in our life. And without you, we have nothing. God, we need your grace every day. Fill us then with love, hope, and peace, Lord, so we can live this faith consistently before you and before all people. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen. You know, um, as Christians, we must never forget this, uh, the absolute treasure that we have in Jesus Christ. You know, we have, we have been uh, granted and given and, and brought into something that's so amazing and, and so wondrous. I mean... We have the, the favor and love of God upon us now. We have, we have eternal life. We have been forgiven from our sins that we have committed in the past and that we're going to commit into the future. We have been set free from this world of, of sin and death all through faith alone in, in Christ Jesus. We are truly a, a free people now, unlike the world. And what, what exactly do I mean? You know, I say that a lot. We do not have to do anything before God now to earn anything from him like his protection, his blessing, and his love, and his favor. Nor do we have to do anything before God so we don't lose his protection, and his favor, and his love, and his blessings. We don't have to work really hard or work ourselves down to the bone exhaustively 
dedicating ourselves to be right with God with what we don't do or do do. We don't have to get our lives together and pick up all the broken pieces of our past or try to set all things right that we keep messing up and try to be viewed as having some sense of prestige or honor before God so that he will treat us like his children, his loving children. Now, we have been freed from all that by faith in Christ. All of that has been obtained and secured and kept for us by Christ and his finished work on our behalf. Our relationship with God, or really his relationship with us now, is not based on what we do or don't do. Our identification with God as His child, whom He cares for, who He looks out for, works all things in favor for, uplifts, that He takes joy in, that He blesses, and He gives good gifts upon good gifts, and and who comforts us and hears our cries. All of these and much, much more are not found in what you do or do not do before Him if you believe in Jesus Christ by faith. Because We have all of it in Jesus alone. Even though we fail God every day, things like what I've said, we have have been secured in Christ. It's not about what we do or don't do. It's whom we believe. And we believe that Jesus is the Savior of our sins. He saved us. We are truly a free people by faith in Christ because our performance, right? This is what it means to be free. Our performance and our progression have no role in obtaining these blessings and favor and love of God or keeping them because we could never do it. For it's through faith in Christ's perfect performance that we have all of it. So now in life we can always know that even in our failures and our sins and our inconsistencies and with the train wreck relationships we have and our foolish choices, our helplessness with life situations that we should have prepared for, but in our pride and in our arrogance, we didn't think we had to, with all of our foolish choices that we self righteously and arrogantly thought were right, but ended up making things worse in our life and in others, with us dealing with loss after loss because you just can't seem to make a right choice to keep things going right. With all these things, even with our sins, we can be at rest because we know that in the end, it will all work out for our good now somehow because we have been freed. We are a free people, freed from this world of sin and death. We have been freed from its power over us through faith in Christ, even if its presence, the sin The presence and death is still there. It does not own you. It is not your master. Christ is your master and that is it. For we know that God loves broken, wretched, sinful people who sometimes seem like they have it all together on the outside, but on the inside, they're all just messed up. 
We can have rest now because the gospel in which we believe in reveals that God sent His Son to bear the burdens of this world that are upon you and me through faith in Him, through, through faith in Jesus. God sent His Son to make your failures as victories for you because of what Christ has done for you so you can be free. The weight of the world, the weight of life, the weight of sin and death, the weight of not doing what you're supposed to do or not doing something to the extent you're supposed to do, like love your neighbor even though they don't love you, being patient and kind with people who are rude to you, honoring those who dishonor you, forgiving those who are cruel and evil to you, serving others and putting them first even if they don't put you first. All of these things and much, much more we fail at every day and I fail at every day. But the gospel in which we believe in says faith in Christ that all of that has been forgiven and, has, and will always be forgiven and not held against you. It's not put as a wall and a barrier between you and God anymore. It's not held against us. Why? Because Jesus took all that weight. He took all that burden. He conquered your sin. He paid our debt. It is no longer upon us, even in the slightest, to try to make up for it or do anything about it. It's all about Christ's victory because Christ's victory now is seen as our victory. He has won for us before God so we can just rest in Christ by faith alone and only receive love and favor from God and be brought into His family and united together as His children by faith in Christ. This thing called life in which we're all a part of now, it's not riding upon our shoulders anymore to get it all right. Because through faith in Christ, it was all upon Him to get it all right for us in this world. The weight of the world is on His shoulders for you, not you anymore. And that's what gives us freedom in this world. Freedom to fellowship with each other in His name, even though we are sinners. God has forgiven and restored us to Him and to each other. This gospel message is truly good news. It is a message we need to hear daily and tell each other daily and others in the world daily. For through it, is how we extend a hand to each other and embrace each other as sisters and brothers in Christ, even though there are many differences and failures and sins amongst us. The Gospel says we are all sinners in need of God's grace and we can unify in the name of Jesus by faith in Him for He has conquered our sins. He has conquered the very things that would divide us between ourselves and divide us from God. Christ has come to set us free from all of this. So our title today is Treasuring Christ. And in our text Today, we're just going to look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. That's it. 
Now Paul up to this point in Ephesians has been promoting this message of gospel unity in Jesus, which I've just spoken of. So for our context of chapter 3, Paul has been directly saying that both Jew and Gentiles who have been completely separated from each other from, from generations upon generations have now become one people of God equal before Him through faith in Christ alone. Or put differently, God's people now are now people who place their faith in Christ with no distinctions, with no boundaries. There's just the people of God. No longer is it limited to an ethnicity or a special group of people. For all people are sinners in needs of God's grace. And the gospel then is freely offered to all. The gospel invitation says there is now forgiveness and eternal life and restoration For all men before God because of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And anyone can have it if they place their faith in Him. And Paul here in our text is going to say that his very life attests to such truth. Paul says in verse 7, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. And this brings us to our very, very first point. Treasuring Christ is our calling. Paul gets very personal here, and he wants all of us to see that this gospel message is powerful, it is life-changing, and it is freeing. For the very very fact that it says that he was made a minister was itself evidence of the gift of God's grace. For the term here just means, the minister just means uh, servant, that's all it means. So though Paul was this apostle, he saw himself as just a lowly servant of God, but one that was made a servant. God graciously made him a servant of the Most High, brought him into his kingdom, a broken sinner, to have him spread this magnificent, glorious kingdom, which Christ died for. What Paul says here is incredible and uplifting because it truly reveals how powerful the message of the gospel of God's grace is and how truly this message brings hope to the lost world to reveal that there is a way for freedom and that there is a way for true unity and his name is Jesus. And we should never overlook then the conversion of Paul, because that's what he's somewhat speaking of here, because Paul speaks of his conversion much in his writings. The fact that Paul was changed, made a minister, right? The fact that he was changed at all by the grace of God reveals how gracious God is. I mean, think of it. Think of this, okay? Follow me. Paul, who was a Jew, was on a full frontal assault to wreck, to mock, and destroy God's Son, Jesus Christ. He wanted to rid this earth of Jesus' reputation and accomplishments in this world. He wanted to remove this gospel message that Christ has come to save both Jew and Gentile equally. And what makes it worse was that what he was doing, he was doing in the name of God. He was fully misrepresenting and twisting the God of the Bible and using his own obscured views of God to try to at least eradicate the work of God's own beloved Son. The work that Jesus did upon the cross that is bringing unity and peace between God and mankind and mankind itself. Paul wanted none of it. He wanted nothing to do with the Gentiles. 
And he especially wanted nothing to do with Jesus and his teachings who taught such things. He loved putting people in jail for believing that gospel. And he took joy when followers of Jesus died. Paul said it himself in Acts 22, verse 20. And when, when the blood of Stephen was your witness was being shed, I myself was standing by approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. Paul's life was pretty messed up. Paul's heart was pretty messed up. Everything he was doing with his life was just messed up. So the fact that God saved him at all is extraordinary and it is a true expression of God's grace. But what makes God's grace even more dumbfounding as to how truly God's gracious is, God then takes this broken, sinful, arrogant, angry man towards Jesus and makes him his servant, so to speak, of the glorious gospel of the unconditional love and grace that God now has towards men through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, a quick application of what that means for you. It means that no one is too far gone from God. So, Do not stop praying for people to know Jesus. Do not stop and give up on praying for your loved ones and your neighbors and your workmates and our leaders or anyone. Do not stop speaking the message of the gospel of God's grace to those who don't know Him and fully reject Him with all anger to your face. For no matter how much anger they have or how doubtful they are, God's grace can overcome it. There is always hope. So with just looking at this first part of verse 7 in Ephesians, with just this small text alone, without even going any farther, no God can save anyone and use anyone. Yes, sinners just like you with messed up emotions and minds and crazy thoughts and wrecked relationships and horrible pasts. God can use anyone to bring the good news to anyone. For Paul is the very proof that God's grace can change anyone. Never give up on giving the gospel to people in whatever capacity you can. And don't let your sins stop you from doing it. But back to the text. So Paul says... It continues in verse 7 and says, which was given to me by the working of his power. So the gift of God's grace over him was through what Christ had accomplished for him. Not only changed him and commissioned to be a servant of God, but God's grace also gave him the power to do the very thing God called him to do. God did not just leave him on his own and say, well... Good luck. It's all up to you now to be my faithful servant. So good luck. Fulfill your calling. I forgave you through my son. I brought you in. I got you through this door, but now it's all up to you. No, Paul said, by the working of his power, God gave him this responsibility of telling of, this, of the amazing things that God has done through his son. This amazing commission of telling all of just how gracious God is and then gave him the power to do so by his grace. The very gracious power that changed him and made him a minister is the same power that would enable him and sustain him to do the very things God called him to do. And this this matters because God's power working through him would overcome any obstacle placed in front of him. For example, the lifelong prejudice against the Gentiles that Paul had 
By God's working power, it was overcome through faith in Christ. But not only that, God mightily used Paul for the working of the ministry and sustained him by his grace, even though Paul was a sinner. For by God's grace alone was Paul able to do what he did and give the message of salvation, even though there were many roadblocks before him, like his own sins. God always provided him with the ability and strength to share the gospel so that both Jew and Gentile can be united with him by the Lord, by faith in Christ. And God did it all for Paul, not because he was a good man or a faithful man, for again, we know he was the exact opposite. But God did it all out of his grace over Paul. Out of his grace, he gave Paul the strength and the wisdom to do what he had been called to do. And you might ask, what does that have to do with you? You may not have been called into an official position of ministry. You may, you know, just like Paul was. But just like Paul, you were called, nonetheless, into God's kingdom through faith in Christ. And you were made into a servant, just as Paul was. Obviously not with the same authority, but you were made a servant of the Lord. For through faith in Christ... You were by grace made into God's servant. And just like Paul, by God's working power over you, you are being sustained as his servant to fulfill your calling in him, even though you still struggle with sin. And one of the things that you're called to do is to declare the good news to all people in the context of your life and and know by God's grace alone, not by how good or how bad you are or have been, But by God's grace alone, you can share the good news with people just like Paul did. For for God is now with you and he will direct you on how and when to do it through you trusting in Christ by faith. You don't need to worry about being or, or be anxious about or concerned about what your life looks like. We are vessels of now of his grace for all to see how gracious is how God how gracious God is with us being sinners. And he will use it, use our life to speak of his gospel, of his grace to all when we speak of his words. We just need to trust in Christ more with making the opportunities for us to share the gospel and trust in ourselves less when we see them. We need to realize that Christ's finished work has made sure promises such as Isaiah 55 verse 11, which says, so, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I propose and shall succeed in the very thing from which I sent it. Passages like that apply to us now by faith in Christ because Christ has done all the work for us now. So it is by his power when we speak of the gospel that it will accomplish its uh, purpose, even as we mess up and fumble about with our lives. God will still accomplish his purpose through you. For Christ has obtained all of it for us so we can rest in him by faith alone and not carry this burden of changing people or convincing people by who we are or what we do. Your life is a witness to how Christ saves sinners. Not good people. Because you're not. Amen. 
We have been, we have been freed to declare Christ has risen. So we invite all to come to get to know Him, even though we mess up and fall into sin all the time before Him. Paul then moves on and says something then in, in, in verse 8 that's so fascinating to me because as Paul has been dis- describing this call into ministry and the wonders of the gospel, Paul says a very striking phrase that can be easily overlooked that you don't hear quoted much. But if you dwelt on it just for a moment, we can see how we are to mature in the Lord, how we are to mature in our faith through trusting in Christ. What Paul says here is the, is, is the very beginning of wealth of insights as to how and what the outcome is of dwelling and learning of this gospel of grace that is now in our life. He says in verse 8, To me, though I am the very least of all saints, this grace was given. And this brings us to our second point. Treasuring Christ is how we mature. So you can, so you can see where I'm going with this and why it's so fascinating. The words, the uh, very least, can be translated basically least than the least. Or, or leaster. That's not even a word, but leaster, not easter. Leaster. They might say, like, well, so what? Well, really take notice of who Paul is saying he is the least of the least of. It's not the prophets. It's not the apostles. No, Paul views himself in light of the gospel that he himself is the least of all the saints. And the saints, a saint is just someone who believes in Jesus Christ. You know, the called people, the very people who have issues that he's writing to, because he called all the people in Ephesians who were having problems with Jews and Gentiles, he called them all saints. So all those people who have problems with sin, he says in Ephesians 1.1, to the saints who are in Ephesus. Paul says he is describing himself, he views himself as the least of all of God's people, even to the people he's writing to. Now, were there more horrible people with horrible past that came to know Jesus? Of course. Paul knew that, for he was one of the main guys who introduced Jesus to all those people. But for Paul, he was not on a mission of comparing himself with others. We love to do that. But Paul knew what was in his own heart before God. He knew that when he looked When his life looked into comparison of God's perfect and holy law, he knew he could not do it and would not measure up to it. He did not measure up to God's perfect standards and he never could. For God demands perfection, not progression, to enter into his kingdom. Paul knew he would never make it without Christ's finished work on his behalf. He knew he was a sinner who deserved the eternal wrath of God, but was given grace in its place, all because of what Jesus did. And Paul saw himself as less than significant than any other Christian and the least qualified to be doing the work that he was doing as an apostle. Is that that not strange that the guy who wrote most of the New Testament planted church after church, impacted a majority of all Christians around him at that time, and even still is, says he's the least of them all, least of them all. I mean, from that small weighty phrase, I mean, we really, 
get to see then change our views of what it means to be a strong, mature person in the Lord. For all of Paul's confidence and triumphs did not come from what he was doing. He did not say, look at, he did not say, look at my life and what a good boy am I. His maturity was not seeing what was being accomplished through him. That wasn't maturity. It's not maturity of his obedience of what he was accomplishing. And it's not maturing. Anyone can behavior change at any time. His maturity came in seeing just how much Jesus had to do for him and is doing for him. His growth was seeing how weak he was and how unworthy he was of Christ. How his good works were filthy trash without Jesus. His life was all about maturing and growing more and more dependent upon God through faith in Christ and seeing how weak and truly sinful he is. How dark his heart is. See, maturing in the gospel is thinking of yourself less and less. Having a self-forgetfulness, if you will. And rather a narrowing focus on the dependence of, on Jesus Christ through faith in Him in everything you do. And realizing you can't do anything without Him. It's easy to be a Pharisee and think you got it all right. You don't. And I don't. You know, it's easy to think things like saying, I got this. I can get it under control. I just have to do X, Y, and Z, and I can make it in this life. I can change it. I can change. I can change it. I can change people. I can make a difference. I can do this. I've been doing all these things, all these spiritual disciplines. I've been going to church. I've been reading my Bible. I can do it. I can do it. No, you can't. Rather, we need to cry out to God all the more and say, I can't do this thing called life on my own. I never could, but you can, Lord, and you did with Christ on my behalf through faith in Him. See, we run into problems when we think we got it on our own. And we are strong enough. We are mature enough. That's why we fall into sin. We think we can handle life by our own ways, our own our, our own thoughts, even in the small things, and our own traditions. But we end up sinning all the more, whether that be through pride and looking down on others, or self-righteous actions. The saying, God, look what I did, that amounts to nothing. When you see Jesus, you will not be saying, oh God, look what I did on your deathbed. You will be saying, oh God, look what Jesus did. One, I heard this one thing of one pastor that said, I can't remember a single good work I did on his deathbed. Not saying he wasn't doing good things, it's just that he knew there was nothing that can get him into heaven other than Jesus. With empty hands I bring, and simply to the cross I cling. Empty hands. Christianity is all about growing on independence upon God and His ways and growing less dependent on yourself and your own ways. And guess what happens when, as we do that? And for our context of Paul speaking of this big unified aspect of the church, when we do that, we like Paul are then able to unify with each other even with our differences that are so bluntly spoken of and seen in each other 
We were able to love and fellowship with each other despite the walls that are seemingly there. Why? Because we think less and less about ourselves and our ways and are rather too consumed with Jesus and how His grace has overcome all of that to bring us together in one family. We start to see that God is saving sinners such as you and I and He has forgiven sinners such as you and I. And the church becomes this place where we see the forgiveness of God in action and and experience His grace grace with each other for we're just a bunch of sinners who have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus and we say to the world that there is room for one more sinner to come to know Jesus so come so Paul after he describes himself then says in verse 9 to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and this brings us to our last point treasuring Christ is our message now, when he says he is, he is to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, he doesn't mean that it can't be known. Otherwise, what's the point of preaching? You wouldn't be able to know it. So that's not what he's getting at. What he means is that the gospel of God's grace, which is found in Christ, is inexhaustible. The blessings and treasures of who Christ is and what he has obtained for us is something that we'll never come to an end with in our journey of knowing him and what he has done. So Paul says here that he has this wonderful message of preaching, that that in Christ we find our everything. And, And much more, his goal, his commission is to make much of Christ and nothing else. He is to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ and that's it. And that is still true today for you and me. The ultimate goal in preaching God's word, the ultimate goal in teaching God's word, the ultimate goal in evangelizing others and ourselves with the gospel. The ultimate goal as Christians is to make much of Christ and nothing else. For example, me as a pastor, I'm not here to give you pep talks. I'm not here to speak on current events. I am not here to tell you to do better and try harder. I am not here to speak of my vision of what I want to see. My goal and my commission is to point you to Jesus with everything I am. To point you to his finished work. To point you to Jesus and what he has done for you. What he has obtained for you. To say that through faith in Him alone and in nothing that you can do, look to Christ that He has done it all for you. You are completely forgiven. You are fully loved, fully loved by God now. And, he will, and you will never outsin His grace over you. For as a pastor, I have one finger in the text and one finger to Jesus and the words, it is finished in Christ coming out of my mouth over and over and over and over again. For life is all about Jesus and what He has done. It's about His message. It's all about Him. Life is not about you or me or our issues, but what Christ 
has done by His life, death, and resurrection, and that He has overcome our issues. He has overcome our sins. He has overcome our worldly problems by faith in Him alone. Life is about being awed by what Jesus has done, being moved by Him and humbled by Him so we can trust in Him more every day as He reveals the sins that have been forgiven by Him through faith in Him alone. We, like Paul, are sinners in need of the gospel message of God's grace every day. For without it, we are nothing and have nothing. We just have God's judgment of hell, of eternity. But with Christ, we have everything. We have His unsearchable, inexhaustible, unsearchable, inexhaustible riches. For in Christ, we have all the forgiveness that we are so desperately looking for. All the love that we need to fill our hearts of being wanted and accepted. All the purpose we need to get up each day and live life. All the inheritance we need to feel accomplished in this world. All the hope we need to look forward to tomorrow with whatever comes our way. All the power we need to get through any circumstances that is placed before us. All the life we need to not be overcome with the worry of death. All the peace we need to be in fellowship with God and with each other. And the list could go on and on for they are inexhaustible, inexhaustible riches that we have in Christ for He is our everything. So let us encourage each other to treasure Christ more than anything in this world by unifying in Him despite our differences and despite our inconsistencies with each other. And by doing so, we reveal to the world that Christ is the answer to bringing unity and peace to mankind. For are all sinners in need of His grace And His grace alone is the answer for all of us. One person said, Christianity is just one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. In church, we, the bread we speak of, the bread we eat of, and the bread we offer to all is the bread of life and His name is Jesus Christ. He is the answer that we need this world needs. Let us go to him in prayer. If you'd like to pray with the deacon, come on forward. If you want to pray here, anywhere, right where you are, come and pray. Heavenly Father, we just ask right now that you remind us, Lord, that life is about you and not us. Lord, everything we do is about magnifying your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Lord, that when we gather as a church, it's about showing Jesus. But God, you know, it's also true even in our homes that it's about showing Jesus. God, if there are people struggling with heartaches, their sins, God, go to them to remind them that they are forgiven. And if they don't know you, tell them that they can be forgiven by simply trusting in you. This is the season, Lord, where the world makes much of the thing called Christmas but has no idea what it means. God, I pray that we could be a people that shows them. 
that many will come to know your name. Help us, Lord, to remember that we are deeply loved by you and you always have open hands saying, come to me, I still love you, even though you messed up. And we can take that message to all. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.